A lot of you are familiar with the DNA Project and have been rocking with us for a while, but some of you aren't. A lot of you are faithful listeners of the podcast, but aren't familiar with some of the other work that we do. So I just want to take a quick moment to explain to you a little bit more of what we do. So you're getting married, or you have a friend, a cousin, a sister, somebody you know is getting married. Okay. You've booked your venue, caterers, photographer, all that good stuff. When it comes to live music, most people have no idea where to look. We have you covered. Picture this. During the ceremony, while guests are being seated, or while the bride's walking down the aisle. During the cocktail hour, while guests are just mingling and having a good time. Don't forget about dinner music. That's very important to set the mood while guests eat. And we definitely can't forget the party. Let's get the party started right now with The DNA Project. www.thednaproject.ca for more information. Hello, bonjour, and wagwan. Welcome to another episode of The DNA Airwaves. This episode is brought to you by the MPL, Toronto's modular film and audio studios. To learn more, please visit the-mpl.com. Once again, that's T-H-E hyphen maple without the vowels.com. This episode is also brought to you by The DNA Project. For anything to do with live music or performances, putting on any kind of show, session musicians, or anything in between, please visit thednaproject.ca. Once again, that's thednaproject.ca. Today, we talk to radio broadcaster and music industry expert, Alan Cross. Our conversation went in a lot of different directions, covering everything from music history, the future of broadcast, and even the purpose of music as a whole. We know you're going to love this conversation. Stay tuned. This is the DNA Airwaves. All right, perfect. How are you guys doing today? Good, man. How are you? Awesome, man. Alan, thanks so much for joining us. Great to have you here with us today. You're welcome. Caught in the house with COVID. Got nothing else to do, so yeah. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) We'll take it, man. We'll take it. So I want to... Sorry, I apologize. Delay. Don't mind no, me. No, I expected you'd be excited, Matt. <laughs> I was I was actually going to say today's chat's going to be fun because Alan, you're a self-described music geek, I think. Yes. Um, and Matt is someone that I describe personally as a true music geek as well. So <laughs> this is going to be fun. I think I might just sit back and uh, listen and learn, man. Go ahead, Matt. <laughs> well, I, I think it's a bit more than music geekery. When, uh, when I heard that <laughs> Alan's coming on the show... Uh, I told a few friends, I was like, Alan Cross is coming. And a few people were very much like, really? Alan Cross is coming? That's amazing. And then I noticed that other people, because uh, we have a, a very diverse show that deals with a lot of different types of music, were like, I have no idea who that is. Is that a magician? I don't know who <laughs> Alan Cross is. <laughs> you do have a magician-like name. So what I was hoping we could start the show with, even though you're, you're a, a giant of music, I would say you're, uh, in a way, a music historian, especially in Toronto. Could you tell mm-hmm. those of us, the, the listeners who don't know who you are, um, try to summarize who you are and what you do for the city yeah. and for music in general. Sure. Uh, I am a radio person. I've been doing this for about 40 years. Uh, I'm probably best known for a radio program and podcast called The Ongoing History of New Music, which has been running since 1993. Plus, I do a whole bunch of stuff online, a bunch of stuff for television, a bunch of stuff for other radio stations. So... I'm kind of a, a weird fixture in the Canadian music industry, certainly in the Canadian radio industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's basically my claim to fame, that I've survived almost 40 years in this business. What's your secret for survival? Honestly, there's two. Number one, don't be a dick. I honestly, <laughs> be- I honestly believe that. That's uh, and, and second, never rest on your laurels. Uh, never mm. stop moving forward. And the moment you start thinking, ah, I've got it made, I don't have to worry about anything, people will come to me just because I'm me, uh, you're doomed, you're dead. So you have to keep Mm. growing, evolving, and moving forward. That's a great point. How do you do your research? Because listening to your show, it's pretty diverse, and you have all kinds of uh, secret sources that I I don't even know how you think to to arrive at. Do you... (laughs) What's your? Pro- I know it's a big process, but how do you start something like that? How do you work on uh, that? Well, I'm always working many weeks in advance. So I mm-hmm. come up with a topic, 
and it sits there on like a post-it note or something or with all the other topic notes. And uh, I begin collecting material for those topics coming up in the future. And when I finally have enough material, I can write a program. Now, that material comes from a whole bunch of different places. Obviously, I do a lot of online research, but I've got a very large library of physical books, very large library mm -hmm. of electronic books. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a very large music library. I have a very large archive of old press releases and um, press clippings and photos and that sort of thing that, uh, you know, it's, it's, they're sitting in some filing cabinets in, in the furnace room. They're not and digitized. You actually open and you go through I them when it's actually, time for the show? Yeah. A lot of this stuff oh, wow. is not. Okay. A lot of this stuff is not digitized. It's still on wow. paper. So, More fun that way. Uh, well, it, it can be, yeah, because at least they're they're filed by by topic, so that's that's okay. Mm -hmm. Right. And then uh, you know, I've been around long enough that uh, I've either seen something happen, experienced something, or know somebody who has, so I can call them up, and then that's where mm -hmm. I can get the information. So it's a lot of it is, you know, longevity. And, and the longer I do this, the more I see, the more I can look back, the more I can analyze, the more experience, you know, that kind of thing. So it's, it's nothing that you can just sit down and do. This has been, this is a process that's been, uh, that, that has evolved over, over several decades now. And yeah, it's just, I don't even think about my process anymore because it's pretty much part of my lifestyle. Right. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a well. I have a few questions, but I just gotta point something out here, Alan. You you have an amazing voice. I'm sitting here <laughs> listening, and it's just like I feel like Matt's already done the work, and he's already done the mixing and editing because it's coming through. Like, <laughs> just let me say, the other two, three of us don't sound quite as nice. Well, again, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm a bit older, so as a result, I've uh, things have dropped. Uh, okay, okay, and you, you should hear me anyway. Yeah, I'll just leave it at that. What does that mean? And at what uh, age does that usually happen? Uh, I just wake up one day and it happens. There they go. Oh uh, man, you should hear some of the old tapes that I've got from from the eighties when I was working at some other radio stations. My We'd voice like is to. way up here. Oh yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's oh, okay, just, okay, okay. But there's there's there's, there's no smoking and drinking involved. This is just the way it it, it turned this out. Is just. This is just mm. life. Amazing. Practice too, um, I, I take it. I would imagine, you know, right. if you do this for hours every day, yeah. you you get into, I guess, you know, it's like a muscle, right? Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, sure. I would imagine it's like a singer. You know, a singer learns to control so many parts of their, their breathing, their phrasing, the way their True. tongue moves in their mouth, the way the tongue interacts with their teeth, the way you open and close your yeah. mouth. All those things yeah, happen yeah. as a yeah. singer. And it happens with, a, with, with somebody who works with their, anybody who works with their voice, I guess. Good point. There's hope, guys. Um, how, did, how did your uh, obsession, or you, I, I, can I call it a music obsession? How oh, did yeah. that start? A couple of ways. First of all, my grandmother gave me a transistor radio for my sixth birthday. And I didn't ask for it. Nobody told her to buy it. It's just that there was this radio. And I was growing up in a small town uh, just outside of Winnipeg. There were three TV stations, one of which was in French. And mm. the only radio I knew is what mom and dad listened to from the kitchen counter or in the car. This little radio opened up the entire world to me. And I realized that there was more than one radio station. I realized that there was more than one type of music. Right. And that wow. this news and information and entertainment and music could be picked up from many, 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 many places. So if you live in Manitoba and in the wintertime, you get something called atmospheric skip with AM radio, meaning that you can pick up distant radio stations for brief periods of time. So I would lie in bed, huh. you know, going up and down the dial, looking for stations from Minneapolis and Cincinnati and Chicago and mm, Denver and right. Louisville and all these other places, and I realized that the world was really, really big and that it wasn't what I was told it was by my parents. And, well, not right. that they told me anything, but, they, you know, the world that had been defined for me as a six or seven or eight-year-old. And wow. somewhere along those lines, I decided that I would like to be part of, of this medium, whatever it was, because it was just so damn cool. The other yeah. thing was sometime in my early, early teens, I don't know when, maybe 11 or 12, my uncle work for the Manitoba Telephone System. And as mm -hmm. a sideline, side hustle, 
he serviced jukeboxes. So he would get a box of records, mm. he would go around to all his jukeboxes, take out the old records, put in the new records. And yeah. one Sunday we went to his place to pick up a new puppy, and he said, hey, uh, we also I also have this this box of records. I mean, you couldn't return them to the manufacturer. It was They were just going to be thrown out. He says, would you like these mm. old 45s? Yeah. Mm. Uh, and they could be, you know, take them or leave them. So I took them. And those that formed yeah. the basis of my very first record collection. Now there's a lot of crap in there, a lot yeah. of country music that I, I didn't know, a lot of <laughs> non-hit singles, and yeah. but I mm-hmm. remember that there being I think 28 or 29 records out of that pile that I kept, and that became mm-hmm. the basis of my music collection. Wow. Do you play any instruments? I play drums. I've got an electronic mm-hmm. set sitting in the basement. I also have a uh, a Love and Paste Tama Imperial Star uh, with uh, a huge array mm-hmm. of. Um, of of peisty symbols. I used to teach way back in the ah. day, but uh, I've got two dogs now. They don't like the booming, so there's very very little <laughs> playing at the big set and uh, some messing around on the on the small rolling kid. How serious or how? Yeah, how far did you go with drums? Did you ever start a band or play in a oh, band? Oh, I, I was in a I was in a bunch of bands. They went nowhere. Uh, <laughs> the one the one band that I that I was in it was a, you know it was a bonehead beer drinking rock and roll trio power trio <laughs> right. type thing. And that was about the most successful one that we ever had. But uh, just as it was really starting to, you know, get some gigs, uh, I ended up getting the job in Toronto. So that was that. Got you. Nice. Speaking of that job in Toronto, um, this past April, I believe April 5th, was um, the the day of Kurt Cobain's death in 1994. Yeah. And I was listening to the radio and they played back an old recording of you announcing his death to Toronto. Yes. That mm. um, w- must have been a, an odd honor. I wanted to ask, do you remember any other sort of historic moments that you got to break or that you were involved in? That was the biggest one by far. Right. Uh, I don't remember any others of that gravity. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I was not on the air for 9-11, for example. I was a program director at that point. Um, mm-hmm. So I was supervising people who were on the air. But there was no That other... must have been a trip, too. Oh, man. Um, I, I, <laughs> I remember I was working as the program director at Y108 in Hamilton. And mm-hmm. uh, I came in about quarter to nine that morning, and everybody in the newsroom was looking at the TV, seeing that one of the World Trade Center towers was on fire. And I thought, oh, okay, well, that's, that's, that's bad. Yeah. And I went into my right. office. Went into the office and turned on uh, the TV just in time to see the second plane hit. And I was like, oh, wait, this, oh, hang on. This mm-hmm. is not right. right. So my wife, who was working in the newsroom, but she had an afternoon shift, I remember calling her saying, turn on the TV, turn on the TV. And she says, what channel? It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, no kidding. And so that's that's the other real big thing that I that I certainly remember. Any other, maybe not as historically significant, but any other uh, memories well, I, you could share? I remember, you know, the day Michael Jackson died. That was a really big deal. I was yeah, impressed sure. into service to talk about that. When David Bowie died, uh, that was a day that I was being, uh, I, I was, I was being, I had been called for jury duty. Oh, oh so he wow. died on a Sunday. I had to go and for jury selection on Monday. So the whole world is calling me for comment and analysis, and I'm sitting in the courtroom with my laptop, feverishly banging out a column for the Toronto Sun, and then, uh, you know, I begged off. I I managed to bullshit the judge. (laughs) I can't can't do this. Allegedly. Bowie needs me. (laughs) So for the rest of the day, I was doing, you know, I was running all over the place doing TV and radio and... Um, that was a bad one. Uh, with the day Prince died, are we, are we noticing mm-hmm. a, a thread here? Uh, the day Prince died, uh, yeah. and the day um, who else? Gore Downey when he died. That was oh, another of course. crazy, yeah, crazy yeah, day. So my wife calls me obituary man, um, and it turns out that whenever <laughs> anybody dies, I end up doing anywhere from half a dozen to uh, twenty. Uh, interviews with people across the country offering wow. some kind of comment on what just happened. Well, let's make it 21. We're, we're going to jump on that train as well. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you 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 have a podcast, actually. Uh, yeah. I think it's a radio show as well, The Ongoing History of New Music. 
I'm pretty sure if we got started on that, which we will, we could easily spend hours just talking about some of the subject matter that you've oh yes, uh, kind of went over on that show. Some of it um, has blown my mind, but most of it has. Um, I think, sorry, you were going to say something there? Um, the radio show and the podcast are one and the same, except with the podcast, we have to mm-hmm. edit out the music because there is no right. way, and, and you can ask anybody, and no matter what anybody might tell you, there is yeah. no way to legally include music in a podcast. No way. Got you. Not even behind a paywall? Nope. Wow. No, okay. What about behind, um, if it's for educational purposes? Because, nope. for example, the podcast 20,000 Hertz basically just plays it willy-nilly and it's pretty big and well, I they haven't don't, heard of any trouble. They don't play full songs. Ah. Uh, uh, so that's, that's so part of the problem. Songs. And even what they're doing mm. is technically illegal because there is no place where you can go to license a song for a podcast unless the podcast lives exclusively on Spotify and they have a oh. tool that allows you to weave music in and out. But you can only listen to that via Spotify. Now, right. the issue is that when you podcasts are downloadable, in other words, you're distributing the podcast. Yeah. True. When an artist signs with a record label, they have an exclusive deal with the record label for distribution. So if mm-hmm. you put their song in your podcast and you distribute it, you're in breach of their contract and you can be mm. uh, in big trouble for it. Oh, now, uh, yeah. somewhere about somewhere around 15 or 20% of all podcasts contain some kind of music, but because there is no mechanism for really clamping down on this or finding a way to monetize this on the on right. the part of labels and publishers and other rights holders, they're kind of turning a blind eye to it right now. My fear is that somewhere down the line, they're going to say, okay, we need more money and we're going to squeeze a lot of podcasters for, for doing this, uh, even though they spent, well, now decades ignoring the fact that they were leaving all this money on the table. The right. problem is though, and, and listen, I have spent an awful lot of time talking about this. Mm-hmm. and researching it and talking to people. And yeah. uh, it is so complicated. Any solution would be incredibly complicated. That would require It would require a worldwide comprehensive database of every song and every version <laughs> of every song right. ever released for it to work. And there is no such thing. How long before we get there? And are you uh, going to participate in making it? Well, I would certainly participate in using it. There's a couple of, right. there's a couple of things. Um, if you're making music right now, your songs are assigned something called an ISRC number, which is kind of like, if you look on the back of a book, you'll see something called an ISBN, which is mm-hmm. an identifier mm-hmm. of that book, that publisher, that edition, and so on. So yeah. an ISRC number is more or less the same sort of unique identifier. Um, the problem is that not everybody has bought into it, and it isn't comprehensive. There is a company out of Australia called Jaxta that is trying to create this massive database of songs with all the metadata properly intact. And maybe that will help one day. But, you know, you think about the fact that there are 75 million songs on any streaming music service. They all draw from the same library. 75 million songs. That's a lot of metadata. And it gets really complicated because it's really hard to standardize uh, what metadata should be. For example... Think about all the songs, especially in the world of hip-hop, who don't use conventional spellings and titles. Right. Yeah, so, good point. you know, uh, if, if a song is called I Love You, well, it's I space L-O-V space M-E. But what if somebody writes a song called I Heart Letter U? Yeah. You mm. see? So it's the same song, yep. but it's got two mm-hmm. titles, and it's using uh, characters that are non-compatible. Yeah, with, yeah. with with metadata, you know, uh, I'll give you another example. Um, Coldplay wanted to release some songs with emojis in the title, and the streaming mm, music yeah. services said, "Get out of here! You're not going to do that <laughs> we, we, because we can't track that." Right? Maybe those, those, AI can help in the future. AI possibly, looks at it and goes, "Hmm, okay, that's what they mean." Possibly, but the problem is that you can't copyright a song title. Uh, so, you know, how many songs are out there? And again, we'll come back to the, the, the example of I love you. How many songs out there are called I love you by written by how many people and in how many different countries and in how many different languages? Right. That's a good so point. if we have a song called I love you, well, then we have a song called Je t'aime. So mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. it is a huge, and, and okay, 
so you release an album and right. in, in Canada. Each song, uh, that album has an ISRC number or, or metadata associated with it. Each right. track has metadata associated with it. If that, mm-hmm. if a track becomes released as a single, that's another set of metadata. If it becomes remixed right. many times, it becomes, you need metadata for remastered each of those. Too, re- yeah. if, it, if it's remastered, if it's reissued, all yeah. these require different numbers. So you see how things exponentially really pile up. It's yeah. not as simple as saying, here's this song, and it is credited to. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a number of organizations around the planet that are responsible for collecting performance fees for digital tracks. Right. And right. they have a huge, all of them. Canada has something called the uh, CMRRA, Canadian Music Reproduction Rights Association. And they have this black box account that's filled with money that they've collected, but they can't attribute that money to any particular songs because of bad metadata. So what do they do with that that's money? Nuts. Just out of curiosity. Sit on it. Sit on it and try and, you know, they, they've, got, they've got a department that's trying to find where this money should go. What, Sorry, a lot I was of just things, curious. Yeah, well, so what, slowly what's that money leaks, leaks out into paying the people who are looking it, who it to does. pay and eventually it runs out. Yeah, but, okay, here's an example. Let's say, go back to I Love You. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, thanks. There's 50 songs. <laughs> there's 50 songs called, I'm just, again, pulling numbers out of my ass. 50 songs yeah. called I Love You. Uh, the first song was written by Bob Dylan. Right. Okay. And mm-hmm. the last song is written by some guy in a basement in, on Vancouver Island. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, without the proper metadata, a lot of these organizations will look at all these I love yous and see all the money coming in and then go, well, okay, if this much money came in for a song called I love you, well, it stands to reason that most people Bob were Dylan listening to man. the most popular song, which was the Bob Dylan right. song. So all yeah. that money goes to Bob Dylan rather than... Oh, Maybe man, this kid man. on Vancouver Island who has some sort of viral hit. You see the problem? Yeah. Huge. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That is a big, big problem. Another wow. problem, speaking of problems, what was it like uh, in the radio world when you guys started getting wind of podcasts and technology and the internet? What was that transition like from a radio perspective? Uh, a good one. First of, all, first of all, a good question. First of all, the powers that be ignored it. Ignored podcasting. Right. Second, the powers that be started. Well, surprise, surprise, because, I mean, it was a small thing. It was only for nerds. I mean, we're talking, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, before we, you know, the the word podcast was was, uh, really well known. Mm -hmm. Um, Let me back up a little bit. Whenever a legacy technology like radio is seized, new technology coming up. The first thing is, well, are, are, is it serious? Do we have to worry about it? Right. Secondly, okay, it's serious. Should we fight back against it? Third, mm-hmm. okay, it's serious. Maybe we should find a way to participate. And mm-hmm. yeah, this is serious. We should find a way to try and co-opt it or at least coexist with it. Right. This, this began with, with, I remember 97, 98, working at the radio station. We would go to the management and say, hey, there's something called the internet. There's something called email. We should <laughs> yeah, have yeah, a website. Yeah. A website? <laughs> What's that? Why would we want a website? We want people listening to the radio. We don't want them on their computers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And af- yeah. after a while, we ended up getting a website. It was like, oh, okay, well, this is a new way to to communicate. Wait a second. If d- website, doesn't that mean that you can have pictures and video with radio? Yes, it does. Yeah. Oh, well, we should get into this. Yeah. So the same sort of thing with, with podcasting. It was like, eh, you know, we don't want people listening to podcasts. We want them listening to radio. So, right. uh, and then after a while, it's like, you know what? We could actually use this to our benefit because mm. what is podcasting but on-demand audio? And here would be a yeah. way to either repurpose audio that we would normally just broadcast out into space and never hear from again, or right. we could take that audio, package it up nicely, make it available to people all over the world, they can download it and listen on their own time. And then we'll come up with technology mm. so that we can put commercials in these right. podcasts so that they're monetized. We're not losing money on them. We're actually right. turning it into some kind of uh, a, a new business model for us that works. Now, remember, radio has, has been around for over 100 years. It's very yeah. good at creating audio. But up until sure. podcasting came along, really, it was just stuff that uh, you, know, you broadcast into space and it was never heard from again. Yeah, this way, yeah, yeah. podcasting can be used to extend radio's reach. 
And it can mm. even go into areas where you can't uh, with over-the-air broadcast. So right. we finally embraced. We, of course, who's my biggest client, has a division called Curious Cast. They distribute the ongoing history of new music. And uh, revenues are just rocketing up because nice. so many people are listening to podcasts. And my radio yeah. show is being heard by more people than ever before. I think I've got 12 million downloads, something like that. Amazing. And people yeah, it's amazing. are getting back to long format talks. It seems like the more the shorter things get, the more podcasts get long. Yeah. Now, this is something that's sort of a back to the future thing for Canada. Um, back in, up until about sometime in the 90s, there were all kinds of very stringent regulations for operating an FM station in Canada. I, I swear okay. to God that the, the regulations were as thick as a phone book. And the yeah. reason was the powers that be wanted to keep AM and FM distinct and separate. AM radio was right. making a lot of money, but it was technologically inferior. So the idea was, mm -hmm. well, let's let it play out its string and let's keep FM substantially different from it to offer greater personal choice or, right. or greater market choice, right? So for example, uh, up until the mid-90s, you couldn't play the same song on an FM station more than 18 times a week. That was, that was really? the law. Oh, wow. You uh. also couldn't play more than 49% hit music on FM. So 51%. I appreciate that. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was actually, okay, well, let's come back to that. It was actually really cool because that meant that, that top 40 radio was illegal to run in Canada. So uh, FM stations uh. had to dig deeper into libraries and pro provide a greater variety of music. Couldn't play the same songs over and over. Couldn't play the hit songs over and over. So you had to fill that time with something else. That meant right. album tracks and non-hits, which was really yeah, kind of yeah. cool. And CanCon on top of that, right? Thirty-five percent of well, it was thirty. It was thirty percent. It was thirty. Thirty percent back then. It's thirty. It's thirty-five now. Um, another thing too is that um, we had to do a certain amount of spoken word. And right. there were three main categories of spoken word on FM. There was something called surveillance, which was basically weather and traffic reports. There was something okay. called foreground, which was the announcer had to stop for, no, sorry. There was something called uh, mosaic, which meant the announcer had to stop down for at least one minute to talk about something. And it had to be a full 60 seconds on a particular topic. And then there was something called huh. foreground, which was long form broadcasting. Mm -hmm. So you would have a special half hour long show hour-long show, two-hour-long show, whatever it was, on a particular topic, and that would be considered foreground. You had to have so many minutes of surveillance, so many minutes of mosaic, and so many minutes of foreground uh, per week. And what this did was create a sensibility in the mind of the Canadian radio industry that was substantially different from what they were doing in the U.S., which was just freeform, you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, to play all the hits you want. Uh, all these things have disappeared. But the certain habits and certain differences have, have stayed with us. Uh, for example, the reason the ongoing history of new music exists in the first place is because in 1992, just before the show launched, the radio station needed a new foreground program. Okay. So Let's I was see. part of a regulatory need. Uh, but even after all those regulations were dropped they decided to keep the program because people liked it. So yeah. programs like mine actually are, are a throwback to the way things used to be on FM radio. It was also a lot weirder. I mean, you know, CFNY back in the day, we also had to have... The Edge. The Edge. Which you don't know. Yeah. Yes. Back in, back in the day, it was also required for us to have a certain amount of... Um, I don't know, it was Category 2 program. I can't remember what it was called. But uh, in addition to all the, the weird alternative stuff that we play... We had to have a jazz show. We had oh. to have a classical music show. We had to have a blues show. This is a requirement? This was a requirement. We needed so much wow. of this non-form, of music outside our format to expand the um, palette for the, for the listener. We had a hip hop oh. show, or it was actually us, an R&B show. We didn't, it wasn't right. even called hip hop back then. Oh. Uh, what else did we have? Uh, we had a religious it's, show. We had a Christian yeah. show. <laughs> you know? Right. That How does sense. that work? Yeah. Uh, well, creatively. 
from a church and state uh, perspective. No, no, no. We we had a guy. We had a guy, uh, one of the sales guys, who was was a born again guy, and he would play uh, contemporary Christian music for an hour on uh, Sunday nights at eleven yeah, like o'clock a Sunday, or ten right? Yeah, yeah. And it kind of kind of rings the bell actually, because I remember hearing all genres, and I never really, never really Same thought here, about yeah. why, but yeah. That's that's energy why. radio had uh, reggae for there Sunday nights, and I right. never mm-hmm. knew why. That's interesting. Didn't make sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would count, right? And oh, then you know, okay. stations like Chum FM and CHFI and other stations would stop down in the middle of the day and have an hour of of talk and news programming. Again, right. they were all the stuff that they wanted to do it. It was that they had to do it because those were the rules. Got so it. now it's different. It's it's different now. You can do whatever you want. You just have to. Have, the the biggest thing is Canadian content, and woe to the station mm-hmm. that does not fill their weekly Canadian content quotas. Ooh. That's the worst thing that you woe can indeed. do. They're Absolutely. After you. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Oh, and they will. Oh, and they will. Oh. <laughs> now like a big we're one. talking <laughs> about podcasts um, and how uh, the the radio industry looked at podcasts and sort of probed it to see should we co-opt this? Is this a threat? I wanted to ask you about that same situation with X XM XM Radio. I forgot what it was called. Oh, sir- it's not that popular. Serious. I'm wondering what happened. Serious. Yeah. Uh, well, Sirius XM Radio, satellite radio, there's only the one satellite radio option these days. There used to be mm-hmm. a bunch, but there's only the one after all these mergers. Yeah. Um, it is basically a car-borne thing. Um, yeah. pe- very few people listen to it outside the car, although they are really pushing right. their app. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, th- what is it? I, I saw, you know what? I can look at it. I think it's like 11% of Canadians listen to satellite radio. Still. And we thought that wow. would, well, no, it's actually growing. The The thing okay. is that, oh, this is, let me try and explain this. Um, when they first came on, when satellite radio was first uh, proposed in the late 1990s and was going to come into Canada, the first big problem was, okay, we don't want this American company coming in and decimating the Canadian radio landscape. Uh, then there was uh, XM Canada or Sirius Canada, and... Uh, they said, okay, well, we can't... The, the the thing was with CanCon. How do we ensure a sufficient number of can uh, quota of CanCon because you can't have an American company coming in and not following the rules? So what they ended up right. doing is mm-hmm. that, okay, uh, for X number of stations, uh, X number of channels that SiriusXM carries, X number has to be... has to originate in Canada. People don't have to listen... Okay. But that has to originate in Canada, so that's the way we had it. Um, and uh-huh. basically, basically, what we've we've done is coexist with it. It's just another thing, um, and we're fine with it. Uh, somewhere around eighty percent of Canadians listen to the radio every week. Eleven percent listen to Sirius XM. So okay, we'll take that. The other thing too is that we're free; they're not. And right. and secondly, yeah. you you have to look at the way that they count subscriber numbers. Uh, most cars these days are equipped with satellite radio, and you get three months when you drive it off the lot. Right. However, yeah. what they don't tell you is that the way they count subscribers is as soon as the car leaves the factory, it is counted as a subscriber, even though the car hasn't been purchased. So right. if you go to a, a big dealership and there's 150 cars on the lot, and they're all, they all have satellite radio, well, that's 150 subscribers that they, cost, that they, that they count. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Okay. That doesn't wow. seem very fair. Well, yeah, yeah you, you kind of, well, they count it that way because whoever does buy it is guaranteed to be a listener or at least a, a subscriber for three, for, for three months. X amount of months. Yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. That's yeah, interesting. And there was yeah, never any yeah. talks of maybe XM mirroring FM stations so that let's say you leave Toronto and you want to listen to CFNY or The Edge and you're now in Vancouver to be able to do that. There was never anything that, Happen not, in a meeting somewhere? Not to my knowledge, no. I do remember uh, for a while, BBC Radio 1 was available as satellite radio. It oh, is not okay. anymore. Hmm. But I don't think, if you go up and down the dial, no, there is not a single terrestrial radio station that is mirrored on on, on satellite radio. Wow. Really? Interesting. Nope. Hmm. Yeah. I... 
Anybody else have a question? Because I have a lot. Oh, go ahead. I think we'll have um, go ahead, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, again, being that uh, that you're, as I would say, a music historian, and one thing that I've noticed that historians tend to do fairly well, as well as somebody can, is predict the future, because. Um, you, you have a wealth of knowledge of what came before in this industry. And I'm just wondering if you have any, I'm, I'm sure you, you sit around and think about this. How do you yeah. think the future is going to look for the well, world it was, of music? It used to be a lot easier when you could identify the cycles that came with music, the rock and pop cycles and you know, mm, yeah. the demographics. And you could see how you know people were aging into a certain area, aging out of a certain area. It was right. fairly easy. Uh, compared to today. Right now, we're dealing with technology, and technology is, is moving so quickly, and technology right. is warping the way we consume media, and it's also warping the way we create media. So, Absolutely. for example, uh, everybody has to be streaming music, right? Well, you don't get paid on Spotify or any of the other platforms unless somebody listens to at least 30 seconds of your song. So right. every composer and producer is trying to figure out a way to maintain people's attention for 30 seconds so they can get paid. Right. That is warping songwriting because you throw in all the for hooks, sure. you have shorter intros, uh, yeah. you have the chorus up front, yeah. uh, you have multiple hooks going through that first 30 seconds because an incredible number of people will hit the skip button five or 10 seconds into a song if they don't recognize it or if that five or 10 seconds doesn't make them, you know, doesn't, doesn't float their boat. I'll give you a, a sure. prime example of how this is a bad thing. Um, Let's go back to U2's album, The Joshua Tree, and Where the Streets Have No mm. Name, the opening song. Uh, mm -hmm. Big cinematic widescreen introduction with a, a, a synthesizer drone coming out of the darkness and um, building, right. building, 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 and then the guitar comes in, and then eventually the bass and the drums come in, and then Bono doesn't start singing like 90 seconds into the song. A track yeah. like that would never have a hope in hell these days because people go, what's this droney shit? Skip. <laughs> yeah. I remember yeah. the the flip side of that. I was I forget the gentleman's name, but Lady Gaga's manager uh, was uh, I I saw a talk with him, and he was talking about how the secret to Lady Gaga's success, on top of you know her her talent, is the intro is a chorus, the yep. verse is a chorus, the chorus is a chorus, the pre-chorus is a chorus, the chorus is a chorus, and the mm. outro is a chorus. Every <laughs> yep. part has to be magnetic. Yeah. He's absolutely right. Same thing Bad with Bad Romance Swift. is an example. Yeah. Uh, Taylor Swift, another person who does that very mm -hmm. well. Um, the, the king of this is producer Max Martin out, oh, of, yes. mm -hmm. out of Sweden who works with yep. you know all the top pop stars. And he has a definite way, a very mathematical way of, of constructing tunes. And you know, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, Beast, um, who else? Uh, Backstreet Boys, NSYNC. Yeah. He's, uh, Coldplay, this recent song. All the rivals. He's, he, He's done fine. <laughs> yeah. He's he's been proven correct. Right. Sorry. Who so are you a big future. fan of me? Oh, sorry, my bad. I thought I, you were... I, I'm, I still want to know what the future is gonna be. Okay. Uh well, I don't <laughs> see. Oh right. So I, I'm not I'm not entirely sure where we're going from here because technology is iterating so quickly and we we have a, a a very large group of people generation z generation z yeah. uh moving into their sweet spots when it comes to their music years which is between you know you're basically from 13 to 23 that's right. that's you know that's the time when music matters to you the most and you use music not only to for enjoyment but you use it to figure out who you are and then you use the music uh, to project who you are sure, to the rest yeah. of the world so that Good that point. 10 year period is really, really important. It imprints on you. And yeah. this is a generation that's never known a world without smartphones, without tablets, mm -hmm. without high-speed wireless internet. That's so true. And what is that going to do to the way they interact with not only music, but all media? Yeah. And like I said, we've already seen that things are changing with the way songs are composed and distributed. Uh we're seeing new technologies where people are making music on a laptop and yeah. they're using a lot of programs. They're buying beats yeah. and, you know, singing yeah. over top of it without any sort of real musical training. Right. Um, we saw for a while guitar sales going way down because that's just too hard to play a guitar. I'll just get an Ableton Live 
yeah. uh, and, 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 and hammer out one of those, or I'll just you know mess around with with the beats that are already included in in, in GarageBand. Um, those are things that make me fear for the future. Uh, if you want to yeah. hear, you know, if if you go okay, let's go back. Let's find a typical twenty four year old who is making music today versus a twenty four year old mm-hmm. who was making music back in nineteen seventy or seventy one. Those oh people back 50 years ago had way better chops than the average oh, yeah. 24-year-old today. Average, yeah, for yeah. sure. The other, the other issue is that um, there is this trend towards great voices. I mean, we just turn on the TV and we watch The Voice. We watch American Idol. We watch mm. whatever. And they've got these, these right. big voices. It's, you know, it's not about having the best voice. It's having, mm. uh, this is me, it's about having the most expressive voice. Do you think somebody yeah. like Bob Dylan or Tom Waits or Robert Smith would get a gig, would get a contract today? Great point, you gotta, yeah. You, know, yeah, you got to yeah. wonder about that. So Maybe Tom I, Waits. He's weird enough. Uh, he is weird enough, <laughs> but would he get a deal with a major label deal like he did back in the early 70s? Probably not. So Probably that's, not. That, yeah, it's, that's it's, it's really point. expressive voices that are not great. I would have rather right. have a mm. much rather have a, a super expressive voice mm-hmm. um, yeah. than somebody who is pitch perfect all the time. Oh, and then auto tune, Jesus! Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, <laughs> and, and, Tell us how you and, really feel. Oh, and and and, quant, and and quantizing things in in Pro Tools or whatever digital mm. audio workstation <laughs> you're using. You know, it's it, back in the day we weren't you know in time to the millisecond. You know, right, things sped right. up, things slowed down, things got a little sloppy from time to time. But those imperfections mm-hmm. are what makes music, you know, really, really Perfect. human. Yeah. I mean, I agree, you listen yeah. to the Rolling yeah, Stones. That is a shambolic band. The only yeah, thing yeah. that is that is keeping the Rolling Stones <laughs> together all these years is Charlie Keith Watts. Richards? Because he... Oh. No, not Keith. <laughs> listen to him. He's all over the trying. place with his playing. <laughs> and, and, and Charlie's in the back. And he's just he's got the beat going. He keeps the beat nice and steady. But everybody yep. else hangs what they do loosely, like some laundry oh, on his beat. And yeah, that's yeah. what makes what it so fantastic. It's a great way. Is to say because it, it yeah, sounds yeah. like, you know, there's so many Rolling Stone songs that sound like they're about to fall apart entirely, except for Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> and it that's what makes it so powerful. Yeah. Too much stuff today yeah. is is like right on the beat, right on key, doesn't speed up, doesn't slow down, no dynamics in the performance. It is, you know, pop music today is, is I think, uh, way too perfect and polished for it to be... The formula, yeah. Yeah, and way, yeah, too formulaic for it to be long-lasting. <laughs> I mean, I'll give you an example. Yeah. Watch, watch, the, watch the Grammys, watch the MTV Awards. Uh, mm. I bet you if you were to go back three years and watch either one of those award shows, you wouldn't recognize a single performer because they were there, mm. they were big, mm-hmm. and they were gone. Mm. The other right. thing, okay, you, you started this. I'm just, I'm going to go on a roll. <laughs> Please do. Tell the other thing is that we're seeing the decline of the album because it's not about mm-hmm. albums anymore. That used to be exactly. the currency of the music industry. It's all that about the individual sad. song. And, yeah. Or EPs. Uh, well, no. It is. Mm. EPs is a bit of a... A replacement for the album, but l- let me explain. Okay. With with its individual songs, so artists are signed and promoted on the basis of one song, and as right, soon as they are, are are completely wrung out of that one song, it's on to the next. There is huh. no investment mm. in long-term development for an artist, very, very little. It used to be that you would sign That's an artist sad. and you would maybe hope that they would hit big on their fourth or fifth album. No, right. if, they, if they don't right. hit big on their first single, you might try a second single, and if that doesn't hit, goodbye. We'll see you at Starbucks. Mm. That's basically the way it's working. <laughs> yeah, um, unfortunately. And and there, there are so many artists that are coming up right now that don't have enough songs to fill a set. They may have right. one hit song. That's so yeah. true. Let's look, at, let's look at Little Nas X. How many songs has he got? Yeah. Two. <laughs> two. Three. Yeah, two, three. Maybe. <laughs> That's it. Where, where's yeah. the, you know? Yeah. And one of the songs... Is based on a nine-inch nail sample that runs a minute and fifty-seven right. seconds. That's a career. <laughs> uh, oh wow! <laughs> yeah, I mean, we did ask him these questions. Very, very so, good. And like, right. is he going to last? Is anyone going to remember him after another year or so? I highly doubt it. 
Oh, well, he just came. He had to come back with a really, really crazy video, that, that one that came yeah, out earlier this year, just so he yeah. got people talking about him again. Right. Yeah. And I don't, what happened to that song? I don't even know. I didn't even hear it. I just knew the yeah. controversy behind the song. But yeah. that's what seems yeah. to happen now is more of the noise and less of the actual songs. It's what they're it, doing yes. on the socials yeah. and yes. less yes. about the actual song itself. Exactly. Completely. 100%. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Another problem, and this is still about the future, is that back yeah. in the day, everybody stayed in their lane. You were a hip-hop yeah. fan. Oh. You were an R&B fan. You were a country yeah. fan. You were a pop fan. You were a rock fan. You were an alternative fan. And you couldn't. Yeah. You were not allowed to change tribes. Like, right. right. You had to stay in your lane. Now, mm. everybody's listening to whatever music that they want to, which is great, which is fantastic. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. However, it makes it very difficult to build any kind of consensus about what the next big thing is in each one of those Genres, right. see what I'm saying? So you have yeah. a whole bunch huh. of micro-communities coming together and blowing apart, coming together and blowing apart. There is no center to music anymore. It's mm. all over the place. Again, not necessarily a bad thing because it means that people are listening to more music than they've ever listened to before and they're listening to right. different types of music, which is good. But at the same yeah. time, a lot of this music doesn't come with any sort of context. If you're listening mm. to a stream, it goes in one ear and out the other. You either like yeah. the song, you don't like the song. You don't know anything about the artist. You don't know anything about the song. You don't know anything about the album. You don't know anything about the sound, the scene, any of that sort of stuff. You in the old days of radio, you would have a, a person on the radio that would, you know, say, "I want you to listen to this. This is yeah. who this is. It's from this album. They are from mm -hmm. this city. They are part of this scene. This is part of that sound. And if you just give me four minutes of your life, I will make it richer." Right, uh, right, now right. it's. It's basically organized noise inside and out, in one ear and out the other. Give you an example. And I'm sorry if I'm talking too much, but no, you brought it, it no, up. No, please. No, please. <laughs> uh, if oh, you, man. nobody likes modern jazz the first time they hear it. Nobody likes free Agreed. jazz the first time they hear it. There's a lot of hip hop that people will not like the first time they hear it. What you fair, need fair. is two things. Either A, somebody to take you by the hand, sit you down and say, sit here and shut up and listen to right. this. Listen yeah. for these things, mm -hmm. and that is what will make this song make sense to you. But you right. can't skip it. You have to sit here. I'm going to explain things to you. Yeah. I'm going to educate you. And you know what's going to happen on the other side? You're going to love this song. Mm -hmm. The other thing is sometimes you need repeated, unintentional exposure to a song before the penny drops, and you go, oh, I like this. Um, yeah, true. Modern modern jazz, free jazz, same kind of thing. You know, you, you listen to the first time, you go, "This is noise. This is crap." But <laughs> if you've got somebody to explain it to you, or if you hear it over and over again, you begin to pick out the complexities and Absolutely. and the the artistry. Mm. Uh, yeah, we don't have yeah. that anymore because I I got the skip button. Mm. Yeah, I, I also think it's because the artists know now how little they can make off of their music. So they're not really trying to, uh, I feel, especially in hip-hop, maybe I'm just from what I'm listening to, that because they know they make more money off of their shows and their merchandise and all the other side stuff, that they don't really care about the music. The music just gets them into their quote-unquote brand and then they're off doing their other stuff and the music is almost like a commercial for them now as opposed yeah, to like their bread and butter. You bring up a really good mm -hmm. point. A lot of people are trying to skip the talent and go straight to the fame. Right, I want to be right. famous, but yes, I don't want to yes. go through the work of earning that fame by being oh, a man. great artist. I want Absolutely. to have a... And this is the fault of, of the Kardashians. This is the fault yeah. of Paris Hilton. This is the fault <laughs> yeah, of yeah. The Voice. This is the fault of American Idol. This is the fault of America's Got Talent. And all these things who... Um, uh, emphasize the fame aspect of it and don't yeah. show us, you know, you, you look at the voice, they're singing other people's songs. They're not playing any songs, instruments. Yeah. They're just playing, they're, yeah. they're just like, hey, you got a good voice and, and I, you know, you look pretty on television. You know, that's basically what it comes down to. It's, it's yeah. not like you guys who are sitting with, you know, surrounded by musical instruments yeah, and yeah. working on your craft as musicians. You are making mu music because you have to, do because there's something inside you that says right. I must create. Yeah, these people create. aren't. Yeah, <laughs> these people aren't thinking that way. They're thinking I must sure. be famous. Mm. You guys, from the looks of things, are all about. Um, I'll put the music first, and then yes. if it works out, Absolutely. 
the fame will come, the money will come. Mm. But first mm. and foremost, I need to work at being great as a musical creator, not yeah. as somebody famous. Which doesn't happen overnight. Absolutely. And I see that way too much in um, in like the younger artists. It's all about their social looks and all this stuff. And it's like, you have two songs. You wrote one song, you made a music video, and you're pumping it 18 times on social media. And like, what's the plan? There's no plan. There's no more songs. You're just going off of this to try and make noise. And you're not really focusing on the music. I don't know. Right. It's, it's all about brand new. Really to me. And it's it's this is something that's endemic across all genres because the thinking is sell the brand, sell right, the right, brand, yeah. not and sell, the, not appreciate the music. Exactly. And there's another thing I want to jump in on. Actually, um, one of your podcast episodes, you talked about the record store, and in that you were talking about the actual investment of the fans, and I think that's a huge part to me of what's changed and what's missing because there's no buying anymore right you had to buy an mm -hmm. album you had to listen to it if the song if there's 10 songs that sucked you still had to play them through or you couldn't return it so uh -huh. there's was, there was that whole factor behind it too um i think there's there's a lot of other things that have changed um i actually had a few questions that i wanted to ask you just specifically about sound and that part of music I don't know if we'll have time today, but could you maybe just give us a quick overview over stereo sound? Can you? I don't know how quickly you can do that, but can you just... Yeah. Um, okay, stereo sound is the creation of music that comes out of speakers, out of two speakers, minimum, uh, where you have a left and a right channel. And the music is equally mixed and divided between that left and right channel in a pleasing way. So that when you close your eyes, you can almost see the musician in front of you. Uh, mm -hmm. Stereo is something that was uh, invented in the 1950s. It became a big mm -hmm. deal throughout the 1960s. And by 1970, it was the only way really people were listening to music was in stereo. Mm -hmm. And throughout yeah. that, uh, that time, we also had what would be the, um, the golden age of home audio systems. So people would spend a tremendous amount of their disposable income buying huge sound systems. I was one of those people. And the idea was to get the best, clearest, loudest, most accurate sound that you could possibly get. Um, and and we looked for records that sounded pristine, that were engineered with great, great skill. And the performances had to be fantastic. Um, but then we get into the 90s and MP3s come along. And MP3s, of course, yeah. are, are highly compressed pieces of music, you know, 10% yeah. of the original wave file. And uh, the convenience of MP3s and their portability made it made them much more desirable or trumped anything to do with stereo sound, with proper high-fidelity stereo sound. And uh, now we've got 25 years of people who have been listening to shitty MP3s in compressed forms, and a lot of them are listening on smart speakers, which are mono because there's only one speaker. You cannot have stereo, proper stereo sound with right. one sound source. It's impossible. Yeah. That is not oh, the definition of stereo. Um, and other people are listening through shitty ear, uh, skull candy earbuds. Yeah. Um, other people are listening through the the um, speakers on their laptop computers. Yeah. And it's good enough. It's fine. I like it. I hear the songs. <laughs> Does the yeah. Yeah, but yeah. they don't hear all the music that has been stripped away or is not being reproduced properly. You know, right. you can get out, get, you know, grab a 14-year-old, put him down in front of a pair of speakers and, and ha ask that kid to, to pick one of his favorite songs and then play it over those speakers. The kid will blow, his head will explode. <laughs> because he'll be hearing all this stuff that he's never heard before. Or or yeah. maybe he thinks he's had because he's got a pair of Beats headphones and the back end is right. bottom end is, is boosted up. You know, people today are listening to inferior audio. Music in the 1980s sounded better and we 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 got mm -hmm. more out of the music in the 80s than we do today because of technology. Yeah. I just wanted to say, honestly, Alan, this has been incredible, and I, we could probably suck another hour out of you. But before you go today, I did want to know, as someone that has such a rich history of music, who are some of your like favorite artists? Like, Who are some of the people that you have on your Mount Rushmore of music? Well, 
it's people who have put their music first and have gotten accidentally successful or accidentally okay. rich. Love that. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if you listen to the stuff that Peter Gabriel does, right? I mean, it's just right. like that guy's wired wrong. But wow, <laughs> the stuff he's managed to do. Um, for, for bonehead rock and roll, I mean, I like Oasis. Mm -hmm. uh, for um, classic rock, I like The Who. Um, right. mm. And if, if, you know, everybody should be made to study every single song the Beatles have ever done because mm. there is so wow. much stuff. The Beatles were only around for seven, basically seven years. They, they, they were formed in the early 60s, but from late 1963 to early 1970, that was it. That was the Beatles. Right. And when you think that they moved from uh, She Loves You, Yeah, 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 and I Want to Hold Your Hand in 1964 mm -hmm. to incredible pieces of music like Sgt. Pepper and great recordings like you know The White Album and Abbey Road. I mean, these guys, they weren't 30. They weren't right. 30 oh, by the time yeah, they finished. Yeah, yeah. And, and if you study, not just listen but read about what they did, how they did it, the experimentation, the way they wrote songs, the attention mm. to details. Like, where is Paul McCartney's head uh, in 1967 when they're recording Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, and he's 20, what is he? He's 20-something, 20 24, 25. Yeah. And he thinks, he's, they're recording Penny Lane in, in that time, uh, which was the single that came up before. For Sergeant Pepper, so they mm -hmm. <laughs> they they record, and Paul McCartney turns to everybody and says, "Yes, we need a French piccolo for this part." <laughs> how the how the hell does a guy, you know, in his mid twenties, decide that he needs a French piccolo, which is the in perfect that day instrument? And age. Mm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yes, and he's recording no internet, on, no nothing. Yeah, no, mm. and he's recording on three track and four track equipment in mono. Right, right. It's mm. just. <laughs> Uh, you know, today uh, you can have unlimited tracks. I mean, you open up a Pro Tools section, how many tracks do you want? Doesn't matter. As many as you want. Exactly. The yeah, Beatles, yeah, yeah. up until they got to Abbey Road, were using four track or three track machines, yet they managed mm -hmm. to make all that music. How creative do you have to be as musicians, as songwriters, to overcome yeah. those technological barriers? It's just astounding. What they did, and George oh, Martin, really you know, brought the best. I mean, I could go on forever, but just trust me that <laughs> I've, uh, I, I've, I've, I've toured Abbey Road a couple of times, and mm. Um, mm. Um, walking into Studio Two where they made all their records uh, is is like a religious experience. Wow! wow. Oh, hang on here. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Is it, is it Paul hey, Alan Murch here. How are you? <laughs> Good. <laughs> Uh, question for you, actually. Um, the Tragically Hip are releasing something tomorrow. Yes. Did you know about this? Oh yeah. Uh, have you Have you heard it? Yes, I've I interviewed the band last week, and uh, yeah, I know all about it. I've known about this for months. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't know if it was possible. Okay. Do you know, like by chance, when you booked them, did you book them through a publicist? No. Came to me. Oh, okay. I just wanted to. Can you? We have one contact for. Are we going to the right person? Uh, you can try, yeah. That, that's the right label, right? Uh, that's really my first question. It's, it's you want Question for you is if we can, are you available to do a hit on it for us tomorrow? What time? Uh, if we did it, it would be in the morning. Uh, and it would be at, let me see. Stand by. I think 10.30. Yeah, I could do that. Just send me a note on it. No. Fair enough. Perfect. Thank you, sir. Bye. Bye. That was a, a CTV news channel. into the... Yeah, I don't know if we were allowed to put some of that up, but that was a beautiful way to... <laughs> that, that was really a great way you are. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was awesome. Perfect, perfect way to finish this off, too. That was um, beautiful. 
We, like, like we said, we all kind of agree on this. We would love to have you for hours and hours. Maybe we could have you back for a part two or something. Sometime. Let's work out something. Um, so many yeah, more questions. Definitely. I want to I point something out, too, just because it's my job to just notice weird things that don't really matter. You're the first guest to mention transistor radio. Also, I think, the first person to mention jukebox, 45s as well. First to say shambolic. And I don't think we've spoke of MP3s before. So there's a bunch of things you guys can look up if you're not familiar with any of those. It ticked a whole bunch of boxes here. That was huge. That was incredible. And he needs to get people to listen to the Beatles. I'm going to listen to the Beatles Mm. and really study them now because you sold me on that little uh, rant you had with the Beatles. It was incredible. I'm going to have a much more appreciation when I listen to them because some of the things I didn't even take into consideration. That music is, is 50, 55, and nearly 60 years old. Listen to it today and marvel. Yeah. And if you want to start somewhere, go on YouTube and look up Sgt. Pepper uh, four track. Yes. And you can actually mm. hear each of the only four tracks that this album was made with individually wow. and see how they had to oh, cool. get creative by bouncing tracks over and how much genius they did with just those four tracks. When you're right, we're sitting, I'm sitting in front of a Pro Tools rig right now with 200 tracks available to me, and I still mm. can't make what they did. <laughs> Uh, 50 years ago. <laughs> no. So everybody yeah, go check them out, please. That says it Thank all. you so much. Yeah. Really, and really speaking of checking this. out, where can people check you out? Um, What's I'm, your socials? Uh, at Alan Cross on Twitter, uh, facebook.com slash Alan Cross, Alan Cross X on Instagram. Again, Fantastic. thank you so much. Thank, thank you so thank much you for your time. It's all right, you're welcome. We'll see you guys later. Every episode of the DNA Airwaves is recorded and produced at the MPL. The MPL is a collection of film, music, and audio post-production suites located in the GTA. Please visit the-mpl, that's maple without the vowels, .com to learn how they can help you with your next film or audio production. As a podcaster, you know that great content is only half the battle. The other half is finding the right hosting platform to reach your audience. That's where Captivate comes in. With unlimited podcasts, advanced analytics, and personalized support, Captivate has everything you need to grow your audience and monetize your show. Join the thousands of successful podcasters just like us who trust Captivate for their hosting needs. Visit dnaairwaves.com slash Captivate today to start your free trial.